This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Here's one in the eye for COVID. It tried to stop us, tried to stop Poetry in Motion. It tried to stop the Mighty Reds. It's tried to stop all the podcasts from uh, Blood Red, but it couldn't. We are back. It's been far too long and I'm so, so glad to be back. I feel like we've been robbed um, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce our guest in a minute. It is of course Dan Kay and Matt Addison are joining us from the show. But I feel like we were robbed a very special moment, guys. So mm. sit back, just sit back, and just enjoy. Can you hear that? European champions, yeah. world club champions in very recent memory. Just drink it in. But after 30 years, this might just be. The biggest lift for Liverpool. Back on the top in England. Sounds even better when Martin Tyler says it, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you know there's a tear dripping down that ugly cheek. Um, that was for everyone listening. Thank you for joining back and listening up with us on uh, Poetry in Motion. I have missed a lot of you. I tell you that now. Whatever you're doing, walking your dog with your headphones on, whatever you're doing in your car, long journey. Thank you for tuning in to Blood Red Podcast all the time with the Echo as, as well, of course. But thank you for choosing Poetry in Motion once again. We are here. We are the Premier League champions. Uh, and um, I am joined by uh, Dan Kay and Matt Addison, as I said before. We're going to talk everything Jürgen Norbert Klopp as well. Because, of course, uh, yesterday, five years, was it yesterday? Yeah. It was five years yesterday, uh, October the 8th, 2015, that he was announced as Brendan Rodgers' replacement at Anfield. I'll bring you in now, boys, but let's just listen to what he's done. You know, he, he, he put us back on the page. He changed us from doubters to believers. Well, the ones that did doubt, of course. He led the Reds to the UEFA Europa League final in 2015-2016. Um, and then UEFA Champions League finals 2018-2019, winning the latter to secure his first and Liverpool's sixth title. His Klopp side finished second in the 2018-19 Premiership Premier League, registered 97 points, the then third highest history in the uh, uh, total in the history of English top division, um, and that is the highest without a team winning the league, of course. Then, following season, Klopp won the UEFA Super Cup, the FIFA Club World Cup, and then after 30 years. The Premier League title on route to which his side scored 99 points, the second highest total in the English top division and broke a number of top flight records. Dan Kay, not a bad sign of Mr Klopp. I think it's fair to say he's been as, as big and as important a signing Liverpool has made maybe since Kenny Dalglish in 1977, a few months after I was born. Um I was lucky enough to to be at Anfield the day he was unveiled, which I think I think was a year ago today. I think it was announced on the eighth. Mm. I think he was unveiled on the ninth. <clears throat> I was I was there just to do video coverage, and you know by that stage I've been to Anfield a few times for work. I'd, I'd never felt such a sense of anticipation. You know, and you know, there's some pretty hardened journalists and media people <clears throat> around the local scene who've been there, seen it, done it before. I'd, I'd even go a little bit further back, the day before when, when <clears throat> there'd been a, you know there'd been a bit of speculation. I think Rogers was sacked on this on the Sunday, wasn't he? After the derby, yeah, after the derby, yeah. One, 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 one at Goodison. And I think it was I think it was a Thursday, 
And obviously, there'd been some talk that you know, Liverpool were closing in on Klopp, but I, I remember thinking at the time, why would he come to us? We were such a such a mess at the time. And in all my time, you know, following, watching, observing, working in football, I've never known an appointment to lift a mood before he'd even kicked a ball or his team had kicked a ball, or in this case, even before he'd said a word. On the Thursday, as soon as it was announced, you could just tell from what, you know, and back then we were living in a normal world where you could see people and talk to people. I remember that. Be with people. They were, they were, they were simpler times, weren't they? <coughs> and obviously, but obviously it was 2015, so there was social media as well. And you could, you know, the, the sad reality is, from the moment Demabar slipped, that huge bubble of optimism that had been building under Rodgers started to wane and, and it and it kind of it became a bit of a vicious circle and it, and it you know I was at Stoke when we were five 0 down at half time and lost six one and it was all rather grim and the, from the second clock arrived he just lifted the mood and like no one I've ever seen before or since at any club. Yeah it was an extraordinary I wish Denver Bart had slipped unfortunately he never um... Steven Gerrard <laughs> slipped you know I mean? <laughs> Uh, Matt, you were probably where Bowman Klopp was appointed, were you? You look about seven. Um, <laughs> but uh, what what does it mean to you um, as a Liverpool fan to see what he has done in in, in his in his really short tenure? Really, when you when you think about it, with the net spend he's had, the extraordinary record that he's built up, and where he's put Liverpool at the moment, what does it mean to you? I think that's it, isn't it? It's the, the sort of speed of things. As Dan said, you sort of you'd seen what he'd done with Borussia Dortmund. You'd seen, you know, obviously the, the similarities between the two clubs. You saw that first press conference. I mean, I know on our YouTube channel we've you know gone back and, and picked out some of the, the best moments and, and some of the sound bites and, and some of the things that he said over the years. But I think that that first press conference was the the sort of first moment really when you thought, wow, it, it was one of those moments where you watched it and you thought you know, this is this isn't just a really good manager. He properly sort of understands. He, yeah. you know, properly properly gets Liverpool and, and that sort of thing. Which it's an amazing thing, really, when you think that that's the very first moment that he'd spoken to Liverpool fans. He didn't probably understand the club, you know, certainly at, at that moment. But he understood the way that he needed to speak in order to get people on board and that sort of thing. And I suppose right from from that moment, you knew that Liverpool were going to be much better. You knew that Liverpool were going to improve and possibly at some point in the future, they might win a a league title or they might win a a Champions League with Jurgen Klopp. But I suppose you wouldn't have probably thought that that progression would have been as steep as what it has been to go from where Liverpool were at at that stage to now. It is only five years. And I think it's just every single part of of the club has been developed. You look at the recruitment, as you say, the the net spend and that sort of thing. To have done it on that sort of almost a shoestring budget, I think just goes to to show really how how much of a job he had, but how much of a a brilliant task that he's done in, in every single different way. So, yeah, with Liverpool, it's always that sort of emotion, the kind of that sort of side of it. But with him as well, he's got that side of it, but he's also got the other side of it. He's very savvy. He knows what to do in, in the transfer market. He knows how to, to improve players. And there's not really been anything that he's got wrong, which for somebody who's been here now for, for five years is is quite an incredible statement. Yeah, Dan, I mean, it, it, it's hard to pinpoint how he's done it, but but... A lot of it is the mental side of his game, isn't it? A lot of it is his man management. A lot of it is that he has this incredible ability to bring the best out of people, to make them feel 
that they can that they can climb mountains that makes them feel that they are champions. He brought an ethos to a club where its fans for a long time had had, had you know metaphorically hit the post when it couldn't come to winning the league. We've done it a couple of times. Once indeed with Brendan Rodgers, um, and before that, obviously with 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 Rafa Benitez. When a lot of fans were feeling that it was never going to happen, we were feeling you know we'd never outwardly say that, but we were. It, it was that thing, like you say, the Gerard slip was was. Was that thing where you go, is this us? Are we a Gerard slip? Is this what we're going to be? Are we going to get there, but not quite? And I think a lot of that was down to the fact that the spending gulfs was so huge between us and Man City and Chelsea and Manchester United. The, the ethos was, I think, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we were all, and rightly so, we were all thinking, you need to spend. We need to spend to, to, to win this title, to go that extra to go that extra point or that extra yard to win this title. He didn't necessarily have to do that, did he? Because he, what he did was he made the best out of what he had and moulded them into better players. Yeah, I think the best managers, you can always say about them that their their teams are more than the sum of their parts. And I think that's definitely true of, of what Klopp's done at Liverpool. I mean, obviously, you can't say he's not spent money when he's bought a £75 million centre-back centre and a £60 million goalkeeper. But obviously... Within within that. relation to, to the fees getting paid constantly by other teams, you know, and that was off the back of a of a huge profit. Yeah, well, well you know, and, and the overall net spend figure shows Liverpool, you know, quite low way down the pecking order compared to some other teams, <clears throat> including one not too far over Stanley Park, who spends mm. a hell of a lot more than us in, in in terms of that regard. I mean, obviously they're they're on an upward curve, and I'm sure we'll come to them in a bit. Obviously with the, with the derby uh, coming in eight days' time, but they're just. <clears throat> For me, there's there's two aspects to this, and obviously we've had a lot of retro stuff this week. <clears throat> obviously, with, with it being the anniversary, apparently, what you know, he's he's got he's very much a believer in the collective approach, Klopp, and I think that ties into the idea of making sure that you get you ring every last little bit out of the place that you can, and the sums more than the parts. Apparently, one of the first things he did at Anfield was to basically get all the kind of support staff, the kitchen staff, the canteen, the yeah. the, the car park attendants, and everyone. And basically, fire them. No, have them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have them in a big meeting and basically say to the yeah. players, "We are, we are Liverpool. We are, yeah. all, we are all part of the same unit here." <clears throat> learn the first name. You have a thing where the players have to learn the first names of all the staff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's something like that. that. And, just get that. Yeah. And even though it's slightly before my time, you know, a lot of people, obviously, you know, your your fellow pod host and relative, isn't he, Peter Hooten? He is. He, he is. He, Always talks in glowing terms about Shankly. Didn't Shankly want to say something like how if he was a if he was a street cleaner, he would want to make sure that his streets were cleaner than everybody else. Yeah. And that kind of mentality that you know no one's no one's higher than everybody else. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. I think that's been kind of like key to Klopp's approach. The other aspect of it as well is in terms of I you, you talk about your fans saying that you needed to spend money. Well, obviously you, you can't not spend money in the modern game. But let's be honest, Liverpool always spent money. By and large, over the last 20, 30 years, it's, we didn't win any. You know, we didn't win a league. Yeah. Man United, when they went twenty six years without winning a league between sixty seven and ninety three, threw money at it left, right, and centre. Yeah. Money isn't everything. And I think what he identified as well, particularly at Liverpool, because of what had happened, not just under Rodgers, but over the preceding really five to ten years, probably a little bit of a residue from Hicks and Gillette and all the fallout for that, was that there was a massive disconnect between the supporters and the fans. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, the supporters in the team, and I think he knew that you know Shankly always talked about the Holy Trinity, didn't he? Between manager, players, and supporters, he knew he had to kind of build that. 
and obviously the, you know, within the first two months of him being there, there were the two home games against Crystal Palace and West Brom. When I think Palace was the first defeat when we lost two one, and mm-hmm. you know, fans were screaming out five ten minutes from the end, and he said, "Oh, I felt I've never felt so alone." Yeah. And then three two or three weeks later, there was the two all draw against West Ham when Origi equalised in the ninety sixth minute, and Klopp famously took the team down to the cop to thank them for their, you know, for sticking with the team. Yeah. And obviously, you know, that's that's obviously been held up in tango. Even look at the state of him celebrating yeah. the draw against West Brom, and even that, you know. Obviously, everything's happened the last three or four years. There was a great little meme, wasn't there, of all the players and fans in front of the cop after the Barcelona 4-0 yeah. kind of seeged with the West Brom ones. Yeah. And even now, I, I know one or two Evertonians who kind of like willfully refuse, still still take the myth about that, saying, yeah, you know, I can't believe what he thought he was trying to do there. And it, it was it demonstrably worked. You know, yeah, I mean, literally within two or three weeks of him saying, listen, we all need to stick together here. You need to get yeah. behind us more. Yeah. The fans did. We got a point in that game. And QED, three, four years later, were world and English and, you know, recently departed European champions. So, to me, the, the biggest thing what he's done is he's, 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 re, he's reborn that kind of that bond between the players and the fans. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's stronger than ever nowadays, yeah. certainly in, in my time of watching. And Matt, it's, it, as we've touched on before, an incredible... Um, trajectory really when you think about the success. I mean we three seasons ago we were twenty-four we finished twenty-four points behind Man City when it's at a time when when basically English football was over because Man City had it in its arse pocket and, and wasn't gonna let it go. And then and then this incredible turnaround which wiped out twenty four points. You know, we missed out by a point of becoming the Premier and European champions in the same season by one point, you know. Um and then to do it the way he did it with an 18 point overhaul um, and finish, you know, and demoralise City, really. And actually, you know, you could argue that on, on the course of what they had done, they've broken two teams. They've broken Barcelona. I mean, they snapped them over their knee, didn't they? <laughs> but you could argue that Man City have never really, or to this point, aren't really functioning the way they were before Liverpool got its claws into them. And, it's an extraordinary uh, journey of self-belief, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only, what, two years ago that there was lots of, of discussion about whether Manchester City and, and as long as Pep Guardiola were there, they would just you know win every trophy. And we've seen them do that, obviously, with the, the Carabao Cup and, and that sort of thing. But the trophies that Liverpool really want to be winning, the big ones, are, are the ones that Liverpool now are, are having those conversations about them. And Again, you only have to, to look at, at Manchester City and, and what they've spent. And I suppose that, for me, is the biggest difference between the clubs. You look at the money that they've spent compared to the money that Liverpool have spent, but also the way in which they have gone about spending that money. They sp- seem to spend 50, 60 million on a centre-back or a right-back every single summer and don't really get it right. Whereas you know, Liverpool, as much as their trajectory has been so steep, as we've said, they were prepared, for example, to, to wait for Virgil van Dijk. There was you know, that story that Manchester City wanted him, for example, that they wanted him to come in as, as backup to the options that they already had at the time, which is you know quite remarkable when you think of, of what's happened with him since. But it's just it comes back to the decision making, the stuff that, that Jurgen Klopp says. He's got total belief in the way that he goes about things, the way that he goes about sort of working with the players, the way that his staff do that. It's all about that cohesion. It's not just sort of that link between obviously the fans and the team, but it's the team and the manager the manager and the owners, everything just seems to have come together perfectly. And I think 
you know, Jurgen Klopp is the sort of glue that has been able to, to make that happen. So as you say, to, to turn around what, how, however many points it was, 25 points that City won the league by, Liverpool then very nearly, you know, beat them to it the following season. And then the following season after that, beat them by 18 points. To sort of do that, it's it's almost hard to put into words how that has happened. I think it, it's a multitude of, of different things. But for me, it, it is that recruitment and that decision-making of, you know, making sure that you get the right players each summer for the right price. Make sure that, you know, you've got the right academy lads coming through as well. Things like that is, is hugely important to freshen up the squad. And I said it before, but, you know, every single decision that Liverpool have made under Jurgen Klopp, whether that's recruitment, whether that's other things, has been right and it's been a step forward. And I think obviously the five years before he took over, that was very much not the case. So it, it really, it, it, it's almost too simple to say, you know, he's come in and he's made the right decisions. But I suppose that is fundamentally what makes him so brilliant, that he has to make probably a thousand different decisions every single day. And there's probably, you know, a, only a, a couple that he's got wrong in that period of time. Yeah, you feel like th- there's been a real sea change when it comes to the structure of the club as well and the way things are done. He's really, he's really sort of imposed his beliefs into the club, uh, and 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 they've welcomed it, backed by FSG as well, of course, who have, who have uh, have proven to have been good backers for him and 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 allowed him to do the things he needed to do. When it comes to this transfer window, it was interesting because Thiago uh, Alcantara they waited for they they have this. They have this thing now, Liverpool, where they've gone back to the old days of you didn't really know who we were signing until we were signing. And and we went through that weird period, didn't we, Dan, where it was all kinds was being announced here, left, right and centre, and you felt that there was something not Liverpool-like about the way it was done. It seems to have gone back now with that Fabinho uh, sort of came without anyone really knowing about it. Thiago, we knew about it. it, was on and off. Was it on, was it off? Was he going to come, was he not? Uh, Jota just came from absolutely out the blue, although you was... Jürgen will say that he's been looking for him two and three years. There's this particular type of player that Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klopp wants to fit into uh, the Liverpool machine, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, there's, you know, Liverpool clearly have a very well-defined way of playing that clearly is, you know, that, that is spread throughout the club. And we saw that, you know, to, to a, to a, in, in, in full effect when, you know, the, basically just the kids, the, straight, the second string, beat Everton in the FA Cup. That kind of the mentality, the the ethos runs through every aspect of the club, and they obviously look to recruit players on on that basis. Uh, you know, one, one, what I particularly enjoyed about this summer's recruitment, I mean, as you say, uh, Jota and very much like Fabinho were proper old school Peter Robinson type Liverpool transfers, weren't they? Uh-huh. Where you literally didn't know a thing about it until it was being announced as a fait accompli. Well, you get the feeling that the, you get the feeling that those players had a hood put over their heads, chucked into the back of a transit van, and woke <laughs> up in Liverpool, don't you? <laughs> well, if this, if it, if 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 it works, don't don't. Mess it. Um, I mean, the the, the the Thiago one was a bit more of a modern kind of yeah. transfer saga, but but I think it was just one of the you know occasionally sometimes you have to just bite the bullet and accept that's how things are going to be. What what impressed from the outside, you know, as, as a supporter. Um, you know, it's I think you know the general theme seems to be throughout the summer we'll only get Thiago if one Alden moves on, and it, you know it, we'll never know really how Liverpool's summer might have looked had it not been for the pandemic. You know, obviously there's yeah. all the talk about Thibaut Werner and you know a couple of players here and there. But what 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 particularly with the Thiago signing, what I liked about it was that it showed flexible thinking to me. You know, on on, on the face of it, a 29 year old 
uh, does not really necessarily fit the the model of player that yeah. would normally look to spend money to buy on. on. Yeah. But I think Sell you know it, there's always got to be an exception to every rule, hasn't there? And given the situation that Liverpool are in, in terms of finance, in terms of where they are in a footballing sense, obviously they're now the champions and up there to be shot at after two. You know, also as well, how do you? You know, this this team has performed on an unbelievable level for yeah. basically three and a half years now. Yeah. But obviously, they, to some degree, they kind of hit the Everest. They've, they've won the Champions League. They've won the league. The beauty about bringing someone like Thiago in is that he's a serial winner. He's won league after title after title after title in Germany and other countries. And that kind of mentality, I always used to say about Alex Ferguson, you know, one of his great greatest assets was how does he keep those players who aren't just millionaires but have won four, five, six mm. leagues? Why are they still so hungry to win more? And I think that was one of his greatest assets as a manager that he gave them that. And I think that would have been part of the mentality of bringing someone like Thiago in. His example, his his standards, his his will to win, hopefully. And, and I don't think there's been any particular signs of that dropping off, but it just raises the bar a little bit in training for the for the senior players, but also the younger players. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just, it, it, there's joined up thinking within Anfield yeah. and Melwood and Kirby now, isn't there, where, where there wasn't years ago. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. Let's go on to this season then. Uh, we'll talk about recruits and we'll talk about Thiago. We've seen Matt uh, briefly um, against uh, Chelsea, wasn't it? He came on. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Leeds, Leeds is a four-four-three victory. Leeds obviously have gone on now. They've, they've drawn with City. Leeds look like a team that are hungry and good enough at this level to stay in the Premiership. It's early days, obviously. Chelsea looked like, and I put on Twitter when we were playing Chelsea, it looked like a, a cat playing with a ball of wall. It was, it was just a wonderful lesson in where do you think you're going? Give us the ball back kind of thing. Arsenal, again, you know, um, took the leads, but but we showed a lot of strength, a lot of character. And then came, well, how do you describe it? <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Um the Villa game was was an extraordinary game, and 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 still probably viewed with 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 more than a bit of disbelief by by Liverpool fans, just because it's hard to know that a team that has been that dominant, as you say, Dan, for three and a half years and done and hit the heights they've hit, um, were to fall apart so so spectacularly in in such a ridiculous way. So my question to both of you guys, and I'll start with you, Matt, is: Do you think that the Villa defeat and the manner of it was was something that was along the line was going to come to Liverpool that is a team that that was starting to get into a into a frame of mind where they turned up and they got the points do you think it was that and then I will ask Dan maybe a, a different version of why he thinks it is I mean it's hard to know where to start isn't it with Villa I mean it was just an off day for for everybody but Mohamed Salah who I thought had a, a pretty decent game everybody else was just miles off it and You'd like to think that it, it wasn't a mentality issue. You know, we've seen obviously plenty of examples of, of Liverpool's mentality being exactly what it should have been under Jurgen Klopp, as we said before. So I don't think it, it was one of those games. I just think Villa did everything right. Um, Adrian didn't have a, a particularly brilliant game. Liverpool started badly, didn't really get themselves going. And, you know, by the time you, you're two or three nil down in the Premier League, there's there's teams who've got players, you know, Ollie Watkins, for example. I know they spent a fair bit of money on him, but he does look at a really good player. And I just think it was one of those occasions where 
I'm just going to put it down as being a complete anomaly. I think we will see a reaction from Liverpool in their next game. I don't think necessarily the international break came at the best time for Liverpool. I think it would have been good to to have another game two or three days later and, and put it right straight away rather than you know have everybody talking and, and thinking about it for a couple of weeks. But I would be concerned if Liverpool showed any sort of signs of, of doing that sort of thing again. But for me, I'm prepared to, to just put it down to it was one of those occasions where everything that could have went wrong for Liverpool went wrong. Everything that could have gone right for Aston Villa went right. And you take it, you move on. And unfortunately, the goal difference has taken a little bit of a hit. But at the end of the day, it's three points down and you just have to, to kind of bounce back from that. I'm not really, you know, too concerned about it. I've tried to, to put it to the back of my mind. I'm sure, you know, that the players will will want to put it right. But just, you know, what we've seen from this Liverpool over the last couple of seasons, it, it was almost inexplicable in the way that it happened. But to me, that makes it a little bit more likely that we won't ever see anything like this again. And hopefully in a, a couple of months' time, we'll look back and go, God, do you remember when uh, when Aston Villa beat us 7-2? What day that was and, and look how we've bounced back because you know, there's plenty of examples, not quite of a, a 7-2 defeat, but you think of you know, the, the hammering against Tottenham, what was it, 4-1 at Wembley. I think Liverpool after that went on a, a run of, of sort of eight to 10 games where they pretty much played it at their peak. So personally, I'm, I, I'm not even going to try and explain you know, how it happened. It's one of those things, it's happened, I think Liverpool have shown in the past that they will and certainly can bounce back. Joe Gomez walked away from on there from your from your player review there, didn't he? Adrian got the stick. Joe Gomez walked away, mopping his brow there, I think. Uh, Joe Gomez uh, had an absolute stinker that night. But uh, you're right. I think you're right. Uh, Anomaly is a great way of, of putting it. Let's hope so. Dan, I'm going to be a little bit more uh, direct in, in what some people are saying. Certainly on social media, two words that it begins to strike a little bit of, maybe not a bit of fear, but but just a little bit of concern. Mm. Two words, high line. Liverpool have scored 11 goals in four games and conceded 11 goals in four games. Um, there is clearly, if there is any Achilles heel to this Liverpool team with regards to the way other teams are watching or studying the way Liverpool play, it has to be that ball over the top, doesn't it? Because Liverpool are playing such a high line. He's put so much faith in in, in VAR. I think being able to find, mm. being able to being able to uh, to say without any reservation what's offside and what isn't. But he's he's leaving a. Do you find it? Is there a possibility he's leaving a lot of pressure on the, on that back four to get them to get them lines right? I mean, this is the, you know this Liverpool have played in a defined way for a number of years, and it's proved enormously successful. Now, there is a certain element of gamble to it. You know, the reason why they play such a high line is because they want to press teams hard in the last third of the pitch, win the ball back high up, high up the pitch. And it works. And I think, to some degree, you're almost kind of taking a bit of a gamble to say, all right, well, we're going to take the chance that maybe once or twice teams might get in behind us like that. And that's where relying on our superb sweeper-keeper, Alisson, to be on it and, and Hoover up behind, or our outstanding centre-backs, Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk, alongside the two two of the best fullbacks in the world to get us out of trouble. Now, you know, obviously there was a it was almost like a perfect storm to some degree on Sunday, wasn't it? In that, you know, for a start we gave them that abomination of a first goal in yeah. the first few minutes. And that you know that, that set the tone in many ways. Not not just in terms of our, of Liverpool's confidence taking a bit of a knock, but obviously Villa's confidence massively yeah. taking a, a boost. Uh, obviously Alisson's injured, 
So we've got Adrian in there. Uh, Joe Gomez is you know didn't have his best game for you know a big Gomez fan. I mean he had a terrific game against Arsenal. So so it's yeah. hard to fathom you know literally six days before I thought he was one of our best players. So you know, but but he's a young defender and they're going to have games like that. You know Van Dijk didn't have a particularly brilliant game, and you know as Matt rightly pointed out, you know Villa. Fair play to them; they they got the breaks, but they took advantage of them and, and tapped into their increasing confidence. So, you know, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not, you know Jamie Carrick was going on and on about it, wasn't he, on, on Sky and, and you know, how the way Liverpool were kind of jumping out, and I could see where he was coming from to a certain degree, but I don't think you can throw the baby out with the bathwater after one horrific defeat no. on the back. Hey, what was it? Liverpool's fourth or fifth league defeat in like eighty and ninety games. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's hardly a a recurring theme. It was mad. It was a freak result, and and in, in, in only four match, you know, four rounds of game, we've already seen some crazy results. Now, to be fair, you know, Tottenham getting, I mean, Tottenham got six, didn't they? Six. Um, and Le- Le- Leicester got five against City the week before. Now, to be fair, Tottenham and Leicester are better teams than Villa, who only stayed up by the skin of the teeth last year. Although I do think they'll do a bit better this year, Villa. Mm. I don't think they'll be in as much trouble. But I think. Yeah, it, it it is an issue, I, I think. But at the same, you know, and, and I would imagine the way what we've what we've learned about Jurgen Klopp in five years is that he believes in the evolution of the squad, yes. of the team, of the playing style. You know, uh, and you know, it, the, there's no one that will have analysed it, analysed what happened on Sunday more than him, I'm sure. But I don't expect to see any drastic changes in the way Liverpool play suddenly next week. I think it will be something that he'll be aware of, and he'll be. You know, I mean. It, not just the fact that they not, haven't got a game for two weeks, they all flew off to their international matches on the mm. day afterwards and they won't be back till Thursday. So, we had, so we're only really going to have two days talks mm. with them to train before the derby. At least there's no travelling, which is a bonus. But um, I, in, if, don't get me wrong, I, I don't like losing any... I don't like Liverpool, to see Liverpool lose a throw-in or, or, or a drop ball, let alone losing 7-2 to, to a team like Villa. But in the, you know, there's been a hell of a lot of smoke blown up Liverpool arses. Yeah. And right and rightly so for the last couple yeah. of years because we've been unbelievably good. But this might just be a little bit of a reality check. You know, after the Arsenal game, it was almost like people were saying, Oh well, it, we've retained it already, it's in the bag, you know what I mean? This team's looking so good. This might just keep us honest, keep feet on the ground a little bit and make them realise if they want to with, retain this title, they're gonna to have to graft it. I still think we're the best team in the league. There's no one better than us. I think you're absolutely right. I think I think what you know, you look at the game, you look at the result like seven two. I mean, how many how many times can you reel off games where three of the opponents' goals were deflections? I mean, it was just one of those bonkers yeah. nights. Um, you know, they've gone on the pitch as well, knowing that City have drew, drawn with Leeds and United have been stuffed. So listen, when you've got the best ability in your feet, you need the ability in the brain as well. You need to be mentally, mentally and physically on the same level. And I think you said it right. There's been a lot of smoke blowing up their up their asses, and, and 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 rightly so. And I think that they've gone on that pitch, and they've just, you know, it has been a perfect storm. A lot of things have conspired against them, but generally they were slow to react. They were slow to sort of. It was almost like they were sort of at times going, "Well, hang on a minute. This this is now the script supposed to pan out. You're supposed to sit back. We're supposed to score four goals, shake hands, and have a cup of tea and go home." And that's what people, what I think, what the Liverpool team have to understand, and I'm sure it will be drummed into them. In many ways, that was better than a one nil defeat, because a one nil defeat doesn't really give Jurgen and the team the the scarring 
that they'll have got from the, humi the humiliation of walking off that pitch. He can use that humiliation against them now. He can use it to fire them up and say, don't ever feel like that again. Don't read these headlines. Look what they did to you. Whereas, a, you know, a spawning 89th minute, 1-0 one, one defeat might not have done, well, wouldn't have done that. They need to understand that every team they play now is a, is a, is a cup final for that team. They are playing the champions um, and and what and the, which is why statistically it's not very often that they the the, the champions retain a trophy. It's okay. a tricky second album, isn't it? You know, it's it's that thing of of can we do this again? And 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 I think it's if you take if you can take any positives from it, it, it was it was I think this had to happen at some point. I think the only people ultimately that can beat Liverpool are Liverpool in the sense that mentally, if they're not. If they think they're going to do it, they're going to get a rude awakening. And let's be honest with you, um, with the next game coming up, I'm glad it's happened now because you would imagine that they will be fired up uh, to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen again. And what has been billed, apparently, as a title decider. <laughs> the, most the, the most wonderful example of optimism I've ever heard in my life, uh, Matt. Um, how do you feel Liverpool are going to approach this next game against that team from across the park. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I think, you know, we can all agree that Everton have had a fantastic start to the season. I would be uh, inclined to think that they could come into the, the top six this season when you look at the sort of troubles that the likes of, of Manchester United and those sorts of teams have obviously done over or not done over the summer in terms of improving their squad. So I think Everton are, are in a really good place. They've spent some really good money this summer. And I think, you know, even the, the biggest Liverpool supporters have to, to sort of give them credit there. They've overhauled what was a, a really poor part of their team and, and made it a really, really good strength. I think James Rodriguez is an exceptional player. I think Alan can do brilliant things for them as well. But I suppose for Liverpool, it's all about sort of putting down a, a little bit of a marker, I think, and, and giving them a little bit of a, a reality check because you know this Everton team have had a very good start to the season. They obviously went away to Tottenham and, and won there on the, the first game of the season. But Liverpool is a different kettle of fish to, to the rest of the Premier League. And I think this is a big opportunity for Liverpool really to, to sort of show that. I think in terms of how they approach the game, I think they have to approach the game as they would have approached every other game apart from Aston Villa, to be honest, because we know that if Liverpool play to the best of their abilities, they are a better team than Everton. They're a better team than anyone in this country. And so they have to, to put themselves back to what they were doing before. I think it's it's almost easy, and I think it will be easily forgotten by a lot of people off the back of that 7-2 defeat that Liverpool actually had played Leeds United, who, as you say, have had a really good start to the season. They played Chelsea and they played Arsenal. Again, two teams who were tipped maybe to, to challenge for the title, certainly to be up there in terms of the top four. So Liverpool have proven they can do it against teams who are in form, teams who have you know made decent starts to the season themselves. And certainly Everton are in that bracket. It's going to be a very difficult game. But as long as Liverpool play the way that they can play, they will win that match. And I think with it being at Goodison Park with no supporters as well, I think that probably plays into Liverpool's hands a little bit too. I'll tell you what might play into Liverpool's hands as well, Dan. It's a bit of a bit of a dilemma, really, for Ancelotti. He's got a team that can attack now. So <laughs> what does he do in a derby against Liverpool? Does he do what a lot of other managers have done in the past and try and park a bus and hit in the break? Or does he does he bow to his to his own sort of conceit and think, well, you know, I'm gonna 
I've got a team that can take these on, um, which could really play into Liverpool's hands. Because if you try to attack this Liverpool side, um, things can go badly wrong very quickly. That's a really, really good point, which I hadn't really considered, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, Everton do have, obviously, they're full of beans, the top of the league. Um, and they've got, you know, a really, well, they've got the most informed striker in, in Europe, in, in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and you know, some other really good attacking players, as, as, as has been mentioned. So, like you say, if, if he does decide to go for it, really, that's what Liverpool would, would it would be manner from heaven. I mean, the reality, Liverpool haven't really made a statement at Goodison yet under Klopp, apart from possibly the first time Klopp went there, which was the Mane 94th yeah. minute late winner just before, you know, Merry Christmas, Everton, that one. Um, the, 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 the following three have all been nil-nil, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it, it's almost like going back to the 70s, isn't it, when, you know, a lot of derbies that were, were notoriously then got stale, goal, you know, goalless affairs. Um, so, it, I think I think he'll probably look to find something of a middle ground. Obviously, the fact there'll be no fans there is, might make it a little bit easier for, for Ancelotti to be a little bit more circumspect you can imagine if Everton were top and Liverpool just shipped seven at seven at Villa, forty thousand streaming Evertonians would be baying for blood and wanting them to get stuck in. It might the fact that it, it is still behind closed doors might enable them to just kind of be a little bit more cautious, see the game, you know, see how the game develops before kind of really going for the kill. Bearing in mind the the way, you know, the two goalkeepers that are likely to be between the sticks next Saturday, I don't think we're going to get another nil nil. Put it that way. Um, because obviously Jordan Pickford hasn't exactly covered himself in glory so far this season, and um, you know Adrian had Adrian had a very difficult game at Villa. But the reality is, Adrian is Liverpool's goalkeeper. Um, he, you know, he, he, he kept a number of clean sheets and helped the team to a number of important wins early on last season to help us win the league. Whether he's good enough to be Liverpool's number two goalkeeper, you can debate until the cows come home. But the reality is, the window, well, the main window shut. It seems highly unlikely they're going to bring everybody else in, anybody else in. And the lad needs our support. And all right, we're not in the ground, but you need you know, just the general good vibes going towards him, which at the end of the day, you're never going to stop some of the cry arson and bedwetting on social media, are you? But I would like to think that most other puddings will realise you can moan to your mates in the boozer, they're over the phone, but you don't wash your dirty linen in public. And no. I'd like to see Liverpool fans present a little bit more of a United thought there with Adrian. There was no one more disappointed than me when he, when he kicked the ball straight to that lad, which obviously led to us getting kicked out of Europe last March but I'm sure there was no one who was hurting more than him either yeah. at the end of the day if he pulls on that shirt he, he, he needs to get our full support and um, hopefully he'll be, you know, he'll be dead keen to prove uh, to prove you know, to prove a point at Goodison I think I'm right in saying he didn't he want to score a winning penalty that knocked Everton out of the FA Cup when he was at West Ham yeah he did so, yeah he did available on so, YouTube yeah so, so there's, there's no way, there's no better way obviously this is in a general sense not just for Adrian there's no way of bouncing back from a lousy result than putting one over on the old enemy across the park. And, you know, I've, I'm quite reasonably confident and very hopeful that Liverpool that you know, Liverpool will do that next Saturday. Yeah, please don't play like Rocky's wife. Um, <laughs> Matt, uh, who do you think gets into the Liverpool team now? I mean, Thiago, we're, we're all chomping at the bit to see because the brief, I mean, he broke records when he went on for 20 minutes or something. He, he completed more passes than Chelsea, didn't he, on his own? Mm. You know, he, clearly, and, and, and Dan has already, um, has already pointed enough. This guy is class. Um, do we expect him to walk into that midfield? The midfield, in particular, 
were poor as well against Villa. I mean, you could pull out many players the way, but the midfield were very slow, very disconnected. When the transitions were very slow, Villa got on top of them, made 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 um, made their life very difficult. Uh, can you see? I mean, again, health and fitness will obviously have a burden on this. We don't know what kind of condition he's in. He came in for that half. Um, do you see can t- uh, um, Thiago coming coming into the into the side for the derby? Yeah, absolutely, I do. I mean, we we only have to look at the the Aston Villa game, and obviously, as we've said, there were problems all over the pitch. But I think that the midfield was particularly sluggish and, and particularly off it. So you would imagine that Thiago will come straight in. Obviously, Everton is uh, one of the the biggest games of the season. You want your your best eleven to be on the pitch, and there's always going to be discussion about certain positions and and who gets in and and who doesn't. But for me. Thiago Alcantara is probably the the first or certainly the second uh, name in that midfield after Jordan Henderson, another one who I think will will come back in, fitness permitting. So, yeah, I would expect Thiago to play. I would expect Henderson to play. And then it's a case of, you know, are you playing two in there or, or are you playing three? And which one of, of the other sort of midfielders that you've got would you put in there? I mean, I would be tempted to go with someone like James Milner in there just because I think, you know, he's... An experienced player, he's somebody who could go in there with a Henderson and, and Thiago and obviously wasn't involved in, in the Aston Villa demolition. So you sort of completely freshen it up there. Obviously, you've got other options. You've got Wijnaldum, you've got Cater, but again, the, they haven't really uh, sort of warranted a start. So, yeah, to answer your question, Thiago Alcantara, will he play if he's fit? I think he's always going to play if he's fit. I don't think there's uh, any reason to, to have somebody as good as him. I think he is, you know, in terms of his ability, Liverpool's best midfielder. It's just a case of, of is he back? Is he ready? And the same you could say for, for Jordan Henderson, really. I think it was probably a slight concern for some that he went away with England off the back of an injury. But I think, again, that could potentially play into Liverpool's hands if he can get himself a few minutes, get himself back fit and, and ready and he could pull back, you know, ready and, and raring to go for, for the derby. So for me, 100% if they're fit, Thiago and, and Henderson simply just have to play at Goodison Park. Yeah, we needed that state stability, didn't we, um, Dan? Uh, saying against Villa that you felt like a Jordan Henderson at some point would have gone, stop guys, let's let's kind of reboot. There was no one there to do that. Fabinho um, was amazing against Arsenal. It was like a brick wall. Nothing could get past him and yet... His pace sometimes really lets him down, doesn't he? Saying against Villa, he was caught a lot of times. And Cater, we've discussed Cater on many occasions, Dan, haven't we? And, the, and how much we want him to to fly. And, and and he just seems to have that one good game, one bad game kind of situation. He he again was was sort of caught in no man's land a little bit. And then we haven't really even touched on on Firmino, who who you know is is having a really kind of sluggish start to the season, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean. I'm a huge Bobby Firmino fan. I've been for a long time. I think he's been absolutely integral to Liverpool's success in recent years. And I'd like to think that he's, you know, he's still got a part to play. But I think you know, with the arrival of you know, Minamino in January with Jota now, I think we are going to start to gradually see the evolution of the next chapter, you know, Jurgen Klopp's next team. You know, he, signed, he signed a new contract last December, which means he's here until 2024. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so, so it needs another two or three seasons. I think it's safe to say by that time, you know, most of the likes of Firmino, Salah, Mane, and some of the other key parts of the team will have been moved on by then. Um, 
I I listened to something before, which kind of suggested that maybe Firmino would maybe more. Just did, sorry to interrupt. I've just heard hearts twang and breaking all over the city and all over the the podcast. No, you can't say Mane and Salah are going to go. It is inevitable, though, isn't it? Because well, they, they, they can't. They can't play into the seventies, can they? No, but also what I'm saying is, do they reach that point where they become too important a profit to stay? In in the financial, well, the, the financial aspect is one is one thing because obviously, if you want to rebuild the team, and we know obviously the way that the Liverpool owners operate is that generally they like the club to generate the money it's going to spend. Now, you know, you could you could argue have you know one or two of those front three maybe gone slightly past their peak. Now, even if they're past their peak, that doesn't still mean that they're not still better than nearly everybody else. Yeah. But, you know, key to Liverpool's success back in the day in the 70s and 80s, when, you know, the success seemed like it would never end, was that by and large, they replaced players just before they got past their best. And it's obviously, it's a very, very difficult thing to get right. I mean, you know, Bill Shankly ended up building a second great side. And you know, and, and won the league in, in UEFA Cup in seventy two, seventy three. But that was all basically come about after a, an FA Cup defeat at Watford in nineteen seventy, I think, when Barry Endine scored. And it, and it, it you know, it, obviously a bit before my time, but it, it, he he kind of admitted that in, he was he was he was too loyal to some of his great generals, like the St John and Hunt and Yates, yeah. who had brought who had got Liverpool back into the top division, into Europe, winning leagues and everything, won the FA Cup. And it's 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 almost like kind of getting rid of a family member, yeah. and and this is where the real ruthlessness of management has to come in. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see the evolution of. You know, I, I personally, I still think Firmino's got a lot to offer. Yes, he's not been at his best, and he was poor at Villa. There's no getting away from it. Um, you could tell you the couple of chances he had for even in the first half when the game was you know still relatively in the balance, oh. he was snatching at stuff. And maybe this is partly a residue from last season when you know, obviously he just scored one goal at home in the whole campaign in the league, but did score some very, very important goals away from home. Some really big winners. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it's important that people remember that. So, I, I, I still think there's, a, I still think he's got a lot to offer. I think, I think, let's take your point about Fabinho. Sometimes he just looks like he's running through treacle, but I wouldn't read too much to in, into his performance. No, it's not his game. His so game is in pace, is it? His game is breaking yeah. down, breaking down the tax. I think he just got caught up in the general malaise and, yeah. and he, he actually looked better when he, when he went and played in the defence in, in the second half. But it, it, it's... It, 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 I'm glad I'm glad this is this Friday rather than next Friday and I'm not yeah. being asked on, on a podcast to pick my 11 for tomorrow because yeah. I think it's a very, very difficult team to pick. I mean, I suppose in seven days' time we might have a clear idea who's come back safe and fit and well from international duty because you don't know what people are picking up all over the place. It seems like there's positive COVID tests every day. Wasn't wasn't there an England under nineteen game that was called off yesterday at half time? Because One of the coaches picked it up, I think, the and they realised halfway through the match, which is absolutely <laughs> mad. I mean, it is it is mental that at a time when the numbers are rising and lockdowns are happening everywhere, that they are playing international fixtures. I think it's absolutely cracking. I can't believe that's been allowed. But I don't make the rules. We are where we are. Yeah. We just gotta hope our boys all come back safe and well. Absolutely. Well, we've got. I always, I always tend to push on the next six games. So after the title decider, of course, we have Ajax when we get to European games, and then we have uh, Sheffield United at home, uh, and then we have another Champions League game as well against Midtjylland, which sounds like a really bad theme park, but uh, <laughs> where you just keep getting bitten. Um, and uh, and then West Ham. I mean, West. Who'd have thought West Ham had, had, had put three past Leicester? It's been a, it's been a very interesting. 
start to the season, hasn't it? Let's be honest with you. We're only four games in, and I think it's it's really generous of Liverpool to to offer the rest of the teams a glimmer of hope before we snatch it away from. Do you not think that, lads? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a, a wild start to the season, hasn't it? And I think you know we we talked about not being massively concerned. Well, hopefully in a couple of weeks' time, we'll still be saying the same thing. But the, the 7-2 against Aston Villa, I think, does have to be put into that context. As as you say, Leicester went to the Etihad and scored five. The following week, got beat 3-0 against a, a David Moyes team. So it, it is one of those mad sort of situations, isn't it? I think, you know, come the end of the season, there'll be other teams that are, are on the end of, of wild results like that. I think at some point, Liverpool might put seven past somebody else and, and suddenly we'll... Yeah you know, look at that in a, a similar sort of way. So, yeah, it, it's really hard for, for us to sit here and assess it at this early stage because, as you say, it, it has been so, so crazy. But for Liverpool, I suppose it it's almost they just have to, to focus on themselves, make sure that they get their results done and, and try and avoid the madness as much as possible because as long as the madness is, is happening at, at other clubs and, and not Liverpool, then I think for, for us, long may it continue. Absolutely. Matt, well, it's uncertain times off the pitch, so we, it's only right that we should have uncertain times on the pitch as well, just to <laughs> just to balance it all out. Uh, Matt Addison, thank you very much, pal. Dan Kay, always a pleasure, my friend. Onwards and upwards, title decider coming up, uh, and there will be lots of highs and lows, lots of ups and downs. One thing you can be guarantee is that we will be supporting the Red Men all the way through, through the wind and the rain, folks. Thank you very much, guys. That was another poultry back. After far too long, but we are back anyway. Poetry Emotion with me, Neil Fitz. Uh, onwards and upwards, people, and we'll uh, speak to you on the next one. You've been listening to the Poetry Emotion podcast on the Blood Red channel.